Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Most white collar workers and many blue collar workers can't seem to get on a roll with their workflow before being interrupted by an email. The conundrum is that while email has become a useful and even essential communication tool in the workplace, it can cause problems that extend far beyond the office. Dr. David Stephenson, an assistant professor of management, is co-author of a study about what email does to disrupt the balance between work and home life, published in the Journal of Business and Psychology. We'll open the latest message after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Officials with the MTSU Campus Pharmacy collected nearly 72 pounds of unwanted drugs dropped off by the public and campus community on April 24th. More than 29 pounds of prescription medications, 38 pounds of over-the-counter drugs, and nearly 5 pounds of controlled substances were taken in by the MTSU Pharmacy and Campus Police during the event to coincide with the National Prescription Drug Take-Back Days held every spring and fall. Expired, unused, and unwanted prescription and over-the-counter medicines were accepted during the five-and-a-half-hour MTSU collection drive. And an MTSU media graduate's timely research into how social media can affect politics and voting has been chosen as this year's best thesis by the Tennessee Conference of Graduate Schools. Ben Burnley earned his Master of Science from the Media and Communication Master's Program at MTSU's School of Journalism and Strategic Media almost a year ago. He quickly headed to Washington, D.C. and Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy, where he's in his second semester of working toward a second master's degree, this time in public policy, and at the same time a doctorate in American government. It led to his award-winning thesis, an especially timely look at how social media has, and may again, affect U.S. voting decisions. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. David, thank you for being our guest today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Your paper says that uh, there has been limited empirical research into the email as a job demand, although obviously it is a job demand for millions of people. Why do you think this area has gone relatively unexplored? So this area, we were approaching this paper from more the management side, so the, the organizational behavior side. There's been research done in like information systems, uh, communication literature, but we were interested in seeing how do how these demands affect individual workers and what are some potential like personal resources from which people can pull to, to help meet these types of demands. So we were, we were really trying to pull from other, other literatures and bring it into the field of organizational behavior and human resource management. As to why there's been limited research, um, you know, that's a great question. We think maybe... Uh, email, um, you know, it's just kind of like a foregone conclusion, right? We see it more as a tool, as a, as a necessity, or even just something that happens in the background. And um, we wanted to kind of put it in the forefront uh, and, and put, put, put it under the microscope and see, all right, now, yes, we know it's a good communication tool. Yes, we know it, it provides lots of conveniences, but what, what are the other sides of that, that coin that we could consider? 
There are a couple of terms of art used in the paper that we need to define for uh, a lay audience. Let's start with job demands. How do you define job demands? All right. So in the in the literature, um, the very specific definition of a demand is anything that any aspect of somebody's job that requires some sort of exertion to overcome. And so the exertion could be a mental exertion, a relational exertion, a physical exertion. Um, so when we were specifically looking at at email as a type of demand, we thought, you know, this is oftentimes, yes, it's it's a positive thing, but oftentimes we can view it as a, as a negative thing. Uh, or, or oftentimes it feels more like a negative thing because it's like, all right, I have to uh, get through my emails this morning or I've got to block off an hour at the end of my day to respond to a bunch of these things. Um, so, so kind of couching emails under this umbrella of job demands, yeah, we definitely felt that because it, it requires some sort of exertion to overcome a certain aspect, um, then, you, then it was easy to define email as a job demand. And what about spillover theory? What is that? So spillover theory, it's this concept that the emotions that we feel in our workplace, we can bring outside of the workplace and, and kind of on its head, it's a very neutral thing. So I could experience uh, good and positive emotions and bring those good and positive, good and positive emotions home. Um, or I could bring my negative emotions into my, my home, into my personal life as well. Um, and so, you know, the, pr there lots of people have probably felt this, this theory in action, right? Where mm -hmm. we have a bad day at work, yeah. uh, we go home and we just are disgruntled at home as well. Um, so spillover theory really looks at the, the boundary or maybe the blurring of the boundary between our home and our work life in terms of the emotions that we feel. This is sort of an academic confirmation of what a lot of employees have felt anecdotally, right? Exactly. Uh, what was your methodology in examining this relationship between uh, work email and the uh, spillover into home life? So our approach, we, we knew we, we didn't want to just capture some of these emotions just like in one day. We, we knew we, we needed to kind of track the bouncing around of people's emotions across mm -hmm. the series of days. So we were able to work with some organizations. We had their employees take a survey across six days. So five business days. And then we didn't have them take it on the weekend and then on the Monday, on the, the following Monday. So across six business days, we, we asked them like to what extent did they feel like their emails that day were more demanding? And then we asked them that that same day, um, you know, how did this, how did this affect your feelings of job demand? How did it, how did it affect your feelings of, uh, job tension? How did it affect your feelings of um, the conflict you might feel between your work and your home? 
We'll take a break right here and we will be back in just a minute. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. David Stephenson, who is an assistant professor of management and uh, a research study that was published in the Journal of Business and Psychology about the effect of uh, email as a, a necessary part of the job, but also an interruption that can have adverse effects on a person's whole work-life balance and family relationships. Uh, you mentioned a term called trait self-regulation, uh, one's ability to just put down the device when you're not working and just say, no, forget it. I can hear a lot of employees saying, how can I establish limits in this aspect of my work life when my boss holds sway over working conditions and he's not amenable to any negotiation? Even the employees who want to set limits and have the disciplines to set limits might feel that they'd be putting their jobs on the line if they tried to set limits. Yeah, and unfortunately, that is going to be the case, right? In in a lot of instances, you're going to have in bosses who they might not necessarily come out and overtly say, "Hey, this is my expectation that you respond just like that," mm-hmm. um, but they might. It might be a very tacit understanding. Like if you don't get back to me, like we're going to have, we're going to have problems here. Mm-hmm. Um, employees are kind of uh, in this conundrum. So what we, what we really tried to do is we actually were able to take some of our research and publish an online article at the Harvard Business Review. And we tried to target managers, understanding that there's a, a power differentiate or a difference, right? Between management and, and their, their employees. So with our Harvard Business Review online article, we really tried to focus, or we really tried to target leaders, those that were responsible for this by saying, listen, you need to understand that your employees are gonna feel a different demand than you feel. Um, they have less control over their work than you have. Um, so where, you know, you might be in bed as a manager and just be like, oh, I just need to get this out of my brain and into somebody else's inbox, but we really try to encourage our, our managers, um, the targets of that of that HBR online article to to recognize like oh I, I maybe I shouldn't send this because of the undue hardship that it's going to present to my employees. Yeah, and we should say that uh, there's a, a the different side of trait self regulation, and that is the employee who doesn't have very much at the other end of the spectrum, who is sort of a workaholic himself or herself, and is more or less addicted to his or her phone, and just can't stay off the computer, can't stay off the smartphone, 
you know, for whatever reason. We, I don't mean to make it sound like it's all one-sided necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you do have, you do have that aspect as well. And uh, it's tough because there are some people that they might have lower self-control or, or maybe even people that have high, high self-control and they choose to use that to do more work. And, and, and that should be fine as well. You know, our, our, our focus in this paper, and I guess what we would recommend to managers is watch the unintended consequences of your actions. Watch the unintended consequences of the emails that you send, the communication expectations that you have, how you use email as a tool, right? So at the beginning of our conversation, right, we were talking about how email is just kind of this foregone conclusion, like this is how we're going to communicate. But I, I think what we would argue then and what our research would suggest is maybe let's be a little bit more mindful about how we use this organizational communication yes. tool. Right. Develop some, some self-awareness about how much of your home time this is taking up before your spouse marches you into divorce court. Long right, before exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put down the phone before you miss your kid's goal or whatever at the soccer game. Uh, so, so kind of going back to considering those employees who maybe don't have the power, the influence in their organization to tell their boss no, who also lack the trait self-control to impose their own regulations. Mm -hmm. This is where we also really call on management to say, hey, for those employees that they're going to respond, they're going to feel the guilt, they're going to feel the, the need to, to quickly get back to you as a boss, that's where we say, okay, as management, you, that's where you need to have very clear policies and procedures. That's where you need to explicitly state, like, hey, we're not going to email past, past working hours. Or in my email that I send you, I make it very clear. Please do not respond until the morning or, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. How can employers be convinced that workplace telepressure is counterproductive to their goals and their company's goals in the long run? For example, if an employee feels so much stress that it, uh, you know, the, the result could be a, a mental breakdown or alcoholism or something like that. In the long run, this costs the company money uh, through its insurance policy. Yeah. So I guess what I would do is just kind of hand them a mirror or have them hold up a mirror and say, you know, what, what is the organization for which you would like to work? Um, what type of organ or communication email demands would you want from your place of business? Taking yourself out of the role of management, out of the role of leadership and put yourself in an entry level position, a lower level employee, or maybe mid-level management position and say, what then would you want the communication expectations to be? And when you can, if you can frame it like that, then it can be easy. I, I guess, simply put, to, to be a little more empathic, right? Have a little empathy, put yourself in their shoes and say, all right, if, if the roles were reversed, this is what I would want from my boss. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the benefits of that you kind of, you, you stated some of them already, you know, if we're trying to avoid the risk of emotional burnout, physical burnout, um, if we're trying to have employees that will be committed to our organization, then I need to treat them better. And I don't want to sacrifice my, the long-term welfare of my workforce 
for, for short-term outcomes. Of course, there are, there's going to be ebbs and flows, right? With each uh, throughout the year, there might be, you know, you're, you're at the year end of your fiscal year. And so there's going to be a little bit more increase in, in the demand. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, managers who can, you know, provide the balance overall during those times when it is crunch time, you're, you're more likely to get uh, a good response from your people because they, they, they know, all right, yes, I, I recognize that this is stress time. You know, if, if every email is marked as high importance, is any email high important, highly important, right? <laughs> the aspects of email that a company might want to establish policies pertaining to? Should they attempt to define, for example, in writing what constitutes an emergency situation? In other words, an email that did the type of email that from a supervisor that would uh, justifiably demand an immediate response. The timing of an email, you know, I, I, I know a vice president who sends them at three o'clock in the morning. I'm not kidding. The types of language that can be used in an email, and that, that mostly I think is pretty much common sense. You, you, you want not to be vulgar, and you don't want to use ad hominem attacks, all of that kind of professionalism. Or you seem to be saying there is a need for specific policies to be established by companies and for them to be in writing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating for legislation or anything like that, but we can look at other countries. And we mentioned this in the article as well. Several countries have uh, come out and made laws that prohibit the use of email outside of company time, right? Um, Let's get into the laws uh, later on, like what okay, you're sure. doing and stuff. But what I'm talking about now is just private sector companies establishing their own company-specific policies. Right. Yeah, is that so, a good idea? Yeah. So what where where I was kind of going with that is maybe looking at some of those and adopting those same policies into organizational practice. I would absolutely recommend having, especially if you're if you're very reliant on email, you know that you use it as a as a as a means of communication. I, I would say like uh, if you can, you know, do set the policy that you know employees are not to respond uh, to email after working hours. And if they know that that's the expectation, if management knows that that's the expectation, nobody's going to get in trouble for that. You know, so there's there's the formal stuff, and then there's also the informal side of things. So if you if you're maybe a mid level manager who doesn't have much say in the overall organizational policies, you can't do something formally about it. You can still set up that that culture uh, within your own subgroup that uh, these are the expectations. Let's not email after this time unless you know we we have to. Yeah, so I think I think finding out what what kind of works best for your organization, and also finding out towards the end of the semester, right? You're going to be if you're if you're in an academic institution, you're going to be inundated with lots of emails. So, keeping in mind the the like we already mentioned the ebbs and the flows of of the work cycle, trying to build that into the policies and procedures as well. Time for another break. We'll return in a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about email as a job tool and as something that can, with today's technological advances, spill over into home life and cause disruption. Uh, Our guest is Dr. David Stephenson, who is an assistant professor of management. About those laws, like those that have been implemented in Europe, and elsewhere. They may or may not be the answer for the United States, but what kind of laws have these other countries established? Yeah, so these laws have come up in uh, like France, um, Germany, Spain, and they require employers that they uphold employees' right to disconnect from their workplace, essentially. And these laws are typically just for you know, we, what we would consider like state employees, so employees of the federal government, um, any other type of state type employee. And in those institutions, in those organizations, these laws, you know, place very strict limits on when emails can be sent. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a, give, a give and a take, right? Should older workers who have had to make more adjustments because of all this rapidly changing technology get any more slack than younger workers when it comes to workplace telepressure? Some people have been, you know, really thrown into situations where they're forced to learn how to deal with a device or some new hardware, or some new software really fast. And they, they're, if they are of a certain age, they're afraid that if they don't master it, their employer is going to use this as an excuse to get rid of them and avoid an age discrimination rep. So as it pertains to email, um, you know, could uh, could older workers be given a little bit more uh, uh, flexibility within a company policy? It would be hard to write that into formal policy, in my opinion. I think just kind of culturally, informally, this is going to be up to the leaders and this kind of is the overlap of or it, this part of our conversation overlaps with another area of my research where I focus on leaders and their role mm-hmm. in implementing organizational practices and change and, and things like that. And so, you know, with, with a new technology or you, you, your organization might adopt a messaging system like Slack or Microsoft Teams. If you're an older worker, as you've already mentioned, that's going to cause your, your tension to, to rise a little bit because it's like, well, great. This is another thing. You know, I'm not a digital native. I'm somebody who I, I, I've had to, it's taken me maybe longer than my younger colleagues to, to learn this. And now it's a new thing. It's a new device. So I think uh, where leaders can make sure that, that they reduce this tension for our older colleagues where they uh, make sure that they're still able to pull out of them the best performance that they can is in, you know, training. It's in um, giving them more time to respond and get used to the changes, I think, is something that that leaders can and definitely should do. And hopefully we've got good leaders who know and understand their followers well 
and can can work to meet their individual needs. And if a worker is making a good faith effort to master the training and be responsive, uh, but is probably not uh, keeping pace with his or her younger colleagues in mastering the new technology, then you know, maybe the answer is easing some of that worker's anxiety rather than putting more pressure on them. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. What related areas of research do you think that uh, people could use your study as a jumping off point from to uh, explore related areas to uh, this uh, question of email and the telepressure it creates at work and at home? We looked at emails. Um, we didn't so much care if they received those emails at home. We were just wanting to know the, the demands that they felt from their emails. Did those demands carry into the home? So doing another study where it looked at actual emails received at home and, and how those maybe affected, affect the worker in, in the moment would be good. I would also want to expand this research to look at uh, different things like organizational culture. So figuring out in which contexts are these demands worse, in which contexts are these demands better or, you know, lessened. Um, I would want to know those types of things. I, I would also be interested in understanding what are the leadership characteristics that maybe help to ameliorate some of these, these demands that are felt from employees when they do receive their emails. How do you personally manage your email? Oh, not very well. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> for somebody who's who studied it and uh, looked at it from the research side, I, I don't do probably any, anything what I should. I, I, I want to, I try to emulate one of my colleagues on the paper. Uh, his, his name is Charlie McAllister. He's the second author on the paper and he is very, uh, very good. He, he gives himself like an hour in the morning, a half hour in the evening, and then anything else, his phone is off, his email is off. And, um, he's very, I'm going to say militant, you know, he's a graduate of, of West Point. So, you know, that, that, that discipline, that regulation is there for him. So I need to adopt some of that, but I'm kind of just like, if I hear, if I hear the ding, if I hear the ding, I respond. Uh, if I can put it off, I do. I'm just all over the place. Dr. David Stephenson, thanks for being our guest on MTSU on the record. Yeah. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. We'll be right back. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. 
Zach Thomas, a graduate math student and teaching assistant, recently shared some of the benefits of working in one of the university's 600 graduate assistantship positions. The greatest benefits of being a TA, at least for the math department, is number one, uh, the tuition waiver. You do have to pay fees on the classes you take, but those usually ain't that much per semester. Uh, however, the tuition waiver gets rid of most of your costs associated with taking these courses. The other benefit, obviously, is the stipend. The stipend is not as much as you would get as working full-time at another job, but you're also getting a tuition waiver and you're not actually working full-time, you're only working half-time. Uh, and lastly, the biggest uh, benefit long-term you get from this job is getting to know the faculty better. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.